All right, good morning. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel to begin this morning. I told you we had a little bit different style of a lesson this morning. If you were here uh, last week, that's why there is no notes. I know I threw everybody off this morning by coming in and not having um, notes available, so I apologize for that. But there's room on the back of your bulletin that you got from Brother Lee on the way in uh, to take notes. And so you can take some notes on your on your own there. We have a spot there on the bulletin for that. Uh, but we'll be in 1 Samuel uh, this morning, chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, I had some, uh, um, mentioned last week we'll be speaking on the title, uh, Go Ahead and Bring a Gun to a Knife Fight, and had some interaction with, with, with that, some people mentioning some gun, gun jokes from the Bible, somebody asked me if it was uh, from Matthew 4.4 that Jesus used a 44 in his, uh, in his interaction uh, with, with, with Satan there. Um, some people may be wondering if it's because we use a 1611, um, a joke there from Miss Kim. Um, and then any, any hunters in the group, there's another one. Um, Brother, Brother Glover, Glover will appreciate this. Uh, in the book of Genesis, Jacob asked the question, how can I provide for my family? Um, and it's right there in the verse because that's in Genesis 30-30. Um, and if you don't know, 30-30 is the most popular hunting caliber of, uh, of, of a hunting rifle there. So those, those aren't them, but there's some uh, Bible uh, gun jokes uh, for you. I'm um, sure there's probably some more that, 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 that are there people have um, found. But this Last couple of weeks, we've been dealing with the topic of understanding the enemy. We've taken kind of a militaristic look at Satan and how he works, how he operates, how he brings his attacks about so that we can understand um, and be prepared to face him and face temptation uh, trials when he brings those into our life. The first lesson we had, we looked at Satan's targets. What is he aiming at? What is he going after? What does he want to destroy? What does he want to bring down? And kind of the primary takeaway from that lesson was that Satan is after the throne of God. He's after God's authority, whether that be in heaven or on earth or in the life of an individual. He's after God's authority. And one practical lesson we learned during that, um, during that lesson was that uh, Satan doesn't have to go after a Christian that's living in defeat to the flesh in this world because they're already defeated. He's going to be going after Christians who are seeing victory. And when you see spiritual victory, that's a time to watch out for Satan's attacks. We saw in the second week, we looked at Satan's talk. Uh, God has some truth that he's presenting and Satan's the father of lies. And what is he out there presenting to uh, this world? And we looked at how he has a theology that he brings about to try to, um, and again, his theology focuses on God attacking God's authority. Satan wants people to put themselves on the throne of their lives instead of allowing God to be on the throne. So that's what Satan tries to teach. You can be your own boss. You can make your own decisions. And that's what he is promoting to this world and to anyone that will listen to his theology. Then we looked at Satan's tactics. In this lesson, we saw that Satan uses his allies and he uses his army to attack people with temptation of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And then last week we looked at um, Satan's timeline. We saw that he is a defeated foe, for his defeat took place when Christ died and rose again. 
we have the victory already and that we are more than conquerors as Christians. So that was where I was planning on ending this series, but about two weeks ago, Lord laid it on my heart to give one more lesson. We looked at, we looked at Satan's tactics. We looked at Satan's army. We looked at Satan's resources and how he, he can go after us as believers. But a good uh, part of any military strategy is do some self-reflection. What do we have to go into battle with? And that's kind of what today's lesson is going to be, looking at ourselves and the ability we we have to overcome and have victory against our enemy. Now, to do that, we're going to visit a very familiar story of the Bible. If you're familiar with your Bible, Old Testament chapter content at all, in 1 Samuel 17, we have the story of David and Goliath. We've heard this story many times from many different perspectives. It's a very fun thing about going to familiar stories in the Bible because the Bible's inexhaustible in its truth. And even though we've heard the story of David and Goliath over and over again, there's still nuggets and truth that we can find in there and make application to our lives about that, that maybe we hadn't considered before. And that's just kind of the inexhaustible truth of the Word of God. We all enjoy the story of David and Goliath. Little guy takes on the big guy. When I was a young person, this story was especially um, uh, uh, precious to me. I enjoyed hearing about it because I was somewhat small for my size. Uh, nickname was Shrimp uh, most of the time. Uh, very kind of shoulder height with all of my friends until I was about 15. So uh, smaller and uh, in interacting with people that were, that were always bigger than me. So I enjoyed hearing about David and Goliath. One time, I'll tell you kind of a fun story, funny story. Um, wasn't fun for me at the time. Uh, well, it started fun and it didn't end fun. Um, when I was about five years old, I had come home from church and had heard a particularly rousing rendition of David and Goliath and was all excited about, you know, you can be a David too. And that kind of, you get that perspective in Sunday school and was getting, uh, getting changed um, from my church clothes into my afternoon clothes on Sunday afternoon and was just thinking about that David and Goliath. And as I was pulling off, off my really long church sock. Like, you know, that kind of looks like a sling. If I just had five smooth stones, um, well, happened, just so happens that right outside of my bedroom door was the hall closet. And in the hall closet, my dad kept a golf bag. Inside a golf bag, I found five smooth stones. And you drop a smooth stone of a golf ball on the bottom of one of them really long khaki church socks, it works really good. All I needed now was a Goliath, and just so happens there was a really, really big window in my bedroom that looked just like a giant to me as a five-year-old, and oh, I was excited, and I was going to see what kind of David could overcome Goliath, so on Sunday afternoon, nice, peaceful afternoon, my parents come running down the hallway to the sound of breaking glass, <laughs> and, uh, and that's where the story turned to be not so fun um, <laughs> for myself. Um, spent the next couple weeks doing a lot of extra work, side income, to try to make some money to pay for a, a broken window. But we hear the story of David and Goliath, and we, we get excited about that story, and we get excited about the possibility and the victory that that can take place with God on our side. So we're going to go back to this story. We're going to read um, kind of a little bit to start us off, and then we'll kind of walk through the story a little bit. We all know it, and then kind of read again to see how it concludes. But in 1 Samuel 17, we're going to start by reading verses 1 through 10. There it says in verse 1, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and they were gathered together at Succo, which belongeth to Judah, Judah and pitched between Succo and Azekah and Ephesdamon. 
And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head and was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine and ye servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And then we are familiar with the story of how the, this challenge came, issued by Goliath. And the men of Israel uh, quaked in fear. They went and hid in their tents and they couldn't find someone to respond to this uh, instigation, this provocation of this enemy of God. This enemy of God who was standing to blaspheme God and the armies of God and, and the people of God. And they would uh, be in fear, even King Saul, who was the one who should have gone out. He was the, the giant in his land, head and shoulders above the men of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was the king. It was his, his responsibility, but he was in his tent as well. Um, couldn't be, couldn't be uh, motivated to go out and fight for the Lord. And in the course of time, the, David came to visit his brothers. Three older brothers were there in battle, and he was there when he heard uh, this champion, Goliath, uh, cry out against the armies of God. And he said, somebody's got to take care of this guy. And uh, somebody needs to deal with this problem. And he had understood from previous victories that God was on his side and God would give him strength. And so he offers to go and fight this enemy. And uh, we know the back and forth that he had with his brother, and then finally appearing before King Saul. And King Saul says, "We can't. You're just you're just a, a young man, and you can't go fight against him. He's been a he's been a soldier since he was a young man." And uh, David tells him the story of the lion and of the bear. And finally, Saul agrees to send David into battle. We'll pick up the story in verse number thirty-eight. Verse thirty-eight, the Bible says. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. He also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand, and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and unto the beasts of the field." 
Then said David unto the Philistine, Thou comest unto me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield, but I come unto thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, and the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistine this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel." And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Let's open with a word of prayer this morning. Lord God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word, uh, the stories we have in the Bible for our example, and the truths and the principles we can learn from. I pray you'd help us this morning to see from this battle that David had, Lord, uh, some principles that we can take in our lives when it comes to the battles we face against our enemy, Lord, uh, and against your enemy, Satan the devil. Lord, I pray you'd bless this time in your word this morning, and we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So I told you the title for the lesson today was go ahead and bring a gun to a knife fight. I've, I'm sure you've heard the expression of bringing a knife to a gunfight. Uh, it, it refers to the idea of somebody coming unprepared or unmatched for the situation. Uh, if there's a gunfight going on and, and you show up with a knife, uh, you're not ready. Uh, you're not going to be the one who, who has the advantage in that situation. Uh, when I was a teenager, I had a book. Uh, called 50 Weapons That Changed Warfare. Um, I remember one story from that had to do with the invention of the Gatling gun. The Gatling gun was a very early model machine gun, and one of the first times it was used was in a battle of North Africa, where a small European army um, faced up against an army uh, of Africans, of several hundred of them coming, although the Africans were armed with spears and, and rudimentary swords, and the Europeans had this Gatling gun. And needless to say, there was a massacre that ensued. Why? Because they came unprepared or unmatched when it came to the to the two sides of, of the enemy. Um, one enemy had a, a greater weapon, a greater force. You know, in in movies in Hollywood today, there seems to be this enamoring that they have with a, uh, a a single person who's got a lot of training in martial arts, and you give them a sword, and they can go fight 50, 60 soldiers that have machine guns, and they'll come out unscathed. That's not the that's not the way things work. Um, the army that has the better weapons uh, is going to come out victorious. Um, most of the time. Having more powerful resources is an advantage in warfare. Now coming to the story of David and Goliath, and we understand obviously that the Lord gave David the victory. It was by the power of God, but we're kind of stepping back and kind of looking at a, at a tactical perspective what tactically or, or just physically, materially allowed David to win the battle. Had David gone in with a sword against Goliath and met Goliath on Goliath's terms, yeah, God could have still given him the victory, but, but if, understand with me, taking God out of the situation, David with a sword, Goliath with a sword, David didn't have a chance. But what David did is he didn't follow Goliath's rules when it came to battle. He didn't meet Goliath with a sword and a spear, he met Goliath with a sling. 
Um, now, when we think of a sling, sometimes we hear the idea of a slingshot, and that's not what David was carrying. Um, slingshots aren't very formidable weapons. My friends and I used to shoot each other with slingshots. Um, it was before airsoft was invented. We just used slingshots um, and, uh, and played airsoft when it wasn't so soft. Uh, anyhow, but they weren't, weren't very formidable, have, have a slingshot. But a sling um, that would be used in biblical times was the two straps with the pouch in the middle, and you could sling a stone. Um, historical records say that you could sling a stone up to a hundred miles an hour and a slinger a proficient slinger could throw a stone 1300 feet Um, and the men of Benjamin were described as being able to throw a stone within a hair's breadth that was the accuracy that they held now the stones that they slang and they have um in archaeology found stones from battles that were used by slingers they're about the size of a man's fist so something this size going a hundred miles an hour and being able to hit within a hair's breadth that's a pretty formidable weapon that was being used um, by David this is the kind of the main idea that I'd like to consider today when David faced Goliath he didn't fight on Goliath's terms Goliath came with a sword and a spear, looking to fight a weaker, smaller man using the same same weapons. If this took place, he was assured the victory. But David changed the rules, uh, and David won the victory. I don't know if you ever remember as a young person playing a game maybe over at a friend's house, and and it was their game, and they made up the rules. And whenever they started losing, what they do? It changed the rules. Uh, well, it's, it's, those are my rules, right? And so when you, you have to play by my rules when you're at my house, and my rules are that I always win. And that's what Goliath was doing. He came to the armies of Israel and said, hey, we're going to have a contest, and I'm going to lay out the rules, and the rules are all going to advantage me. And if you come face me on my rules, then I'm going to win. I've always wondered, why didn't the army of Israel just charge down and take out Goliath, the whole army? Um, why did they have to listen to his rules? Um, they didn't have uh, ROEs, rules of engagement, that we have in, in warfare today that handicap soldiers in some instances. But, uh, but De- Goliath laid out some rules and said, I want, I want the advantage. And so here's my rules. You follow my rules, um, then I'm going to be able to win. And David said, well, I'll come and face you, but I'm going to go uh, in my rules. And I'm going to, David brought literally in, in that time frame a gun to a knife fight. And uh, he, he won the victory, obviously, with the Lord providing the victory for him. And as we apply this to our lives and what we're studying today, we understand we have an enemy. Satan is the enemy, and he's laid out some rules of engagement on how he wants to interact with people and how he wants to interact with Christians. He wants to contend with us on his terms. He's bigger than we are. He's stronger than we are. And if we fight with him the way that he wants to, he knows he can have the victory. The enemy is Satan, and the weapons that he chooses is our flesh. Satan knows if he comes against a Christian living in the flesh and not walking in the spirit, he has the victory. It will not even be a contest, but we don't have to meet the devil on his terms. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. If the devil could pick the battle, he would choose it to himself against a Christian walking the flesh. Just like Goliath wanted a battle with swords against a smaller man. And we'll never have victory when we fight in the power of the flesh. But we don't have to meet the devils on his terms. God's given us greater weapons. So you and I, like David, can bring a gun to a knife fight. And we don't have to meet the devil on his terms. We can show up with mightier weapons. So we're going to look at three areas where we have a mightier weapon than our enemy that we need to go and um, meet our enemy in. And first of all, we have a greater ally. We have a greater ally. John, 1 John chapter 4. Let's go there together. 1 John chapter 4. (laughs) 
very familiar verse here. We looked in our lesson a couple weeks ago on how the devil has some allies. He has some allies that he fights with, and he's got some pretty formidable allies. He has our flesh, um, and a lot of us live in defeat to our flesh a lot of the time to our shame. Uh, and he's got, an, he's got an ally in this world, and there's a lot of Christians who've succumbed to the, to the being conformed to this world. He's got his army um, of demons that are, that are enabling him to, to wreak havoc all around the world, but we have an ally as well. 1 John 4, verse number 4, the Bible says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When I was a young person, I really enjoyed wrestling, wrestling, fighting with my friends. We would always uh, go out after church on Wednesday night. Couldn't do it on Sunday because we messed our clothes up. But on, on Wednesday night after church, there's always boys in the, in the churchyard rolling around wrestling um, and having a, I had, I, had, I had Wednesday night church pants that had green spots on the knees from when we go out and wrestling and just something we enjoyed, we enjoyed doing, enjoyed wrestling, enjoyed um, fighting. Um, I'm glad that the teens in our church aren't like we were as teens. Teenagers, because as soon as my youth pastor stepped outside the doors of the church on Wednesday night, he was fair game for the teen guys. We just he'd be standing, talk to somebody, we just clobber him, knock him over in the yard, and, and we'd wrestle and um, got, we enjoyed doing that. But uh, I wouldn't really get into any real fights. It was always with friends. We were always wrestling. There was one time though. One time I got into a little bit of a real fight. And it was because somebody was messing with my little brother, and uh, I'm the only one that was allowed to do that, right? And so somebody was messing with with my brother in that regard. I'm sure you've all heard or seen stories or illustrations about big brothers that stood up for their younger siblings. Isn't it good to have an ally? We saw, as I mentioned, that Satan has allies. And Goliath, going back to that story, Goliath said, I want one man to come and meet me. But did Goliath come by himself to fight? He didn't. He brought a man with him. He had somebody carrying a shield for him. So even though Goliath said, I only want one of you to come, Goliath brought allies, and that's what Satan does. He says, I'm going to meet you as a Christian, but he didn't. Satan doesn't come alone. He brings your flesh. He brings the world. He brings all that to bear against you. But that didn't matter because David came to the battle with an ally as well. He said, I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Going to 1 John, 1 John 4, 4, notice how the Christians are described in this verse. Ye are of God, what does it say? Little children. Little children, uh, that, that doesn't seem like a very formidable uh, foe when you have a little child that's, that's, that's standing against you. And that's kind of the way that David was described in 1 Samuel 17. Saul told him, thou art but a youth. And the word youth there means boy. Saul says, you're, you're just a boy. When it comes to go, going to battle, how are you going to do this? You're, you're just a boy. In the verses in 1 John chapter 4 that lead up to verse 4, we see there are several enemies that are mentioned. There are false spirits. There are false teachers. There are the world. There is the spirit of Antichrist. These are kind of big and scary enemies, especially when you consider them from the perspective of a little child. Very easy for a little child to be afraid. But what have these little children in verse 4 done with these enemies? You're of God, little children, and have overcome them overcome them. As little children, even though we're weak, even though we're small, even though we have no strength on our own and our enemies are big and scary, we've overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We could never overcome them in our own strength. We overcome them through him that is in us. Now, we only get to do this when we walk in the Spirit. 
If we're walking in the flesh, we don't have, we don't have the, the, the power of God on our lives where we're going to be, be victorious. We're living in the flesh and we're living in defeat. When we walk in the flesh, we limit God's ability and God's authority in our lives. And that's what Satan wants. He wants God's authority limited in our life. Then he can meet us on his terms in the, in the flesh and he can defeat us as Christians. If you think of your life as a bedroom, as a room, maybe to a house, and you think of the devil as an intruder, someone who wants in. Well, if you have a little child holding one side of the door and a man on the other side of the door trying to push the door open, what's going to happen? He's going to get inside. But if we, if we in, if you imagine your life as, as that house in that room and you said, okay, God, you get this room, this room is Sunday, but the rest of the house is mine. You've limited God to this area of your life. And then so Satan says, well, I can get into that room because he doesn't have God in there. And he doesn't have God's power in there. And he doesn't have God's authority in there. So I can just push that door open because he's just a little child. But when you have God access to the whole house, you give God access to the whole life, he's your ally in every part of your life. Well, then you can have victory over our enemy. You have to turn authority over to God in your life. He cannot be limited in his authority. Consider what the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse number 7. There the Bible says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We're looking for that second half of the verse, resisting the devil and getting to flee from us. That's what we're talking about today, having victory over him. But where does it start? It starts with submitting yourself to God. Submitting yourself means you're putting yourself under God's authority, saying, okay, God, you have control of every part of my life, so when, when Satan comes in, God's the one in control. If Satan comes into my life and I'm in control, well, I'm going to lose the battle. Um, I, want, I need to have God in control if I'm going to have the victory. Submission's the first step, and then resisting comes after that. I've illustrated it before. If you had, if you had a young person standing, somebody standing in front of me, and uh, let's just say, let's pretend that Caleb was up here in front of me, and Shamar uh, was facing Caleb. All right, and Shamar was going to take a swing, punch Caleb in the nose. Just I don't know why, maybe he got upset at him or something. If Caleb ducked, what's going to happen? Shamar's going to hit me in the nose, and then Shamar's going to have a problem. All right, <laughs> Shamar's, Shamar's, uh, he might be able to, he might be able to take on Caleb, but but I think I could get Shamar if I wanted to. Okay, um, that's what happens. Caleb puts himself under. And then who's Shamar dealing with? Me. And when it, when it comes to me and God, when I put myself under God, then who's Satan dealing with? Satan's dealing with my greater ally. And so it starts with submission. I put myself under God's authority, and then God's the one dealing with my enemy. But every time I put myself in authority, then the devil's, uh, he's got me on his terms, and he's going to win the victory. We don't have to fight the devil on his terms because we have a greater ally. But an ally does you no good if you do not enlist their help. Hey, if you have an ally, a friend who can help you, but you say, I've got this on my own, yeah. well, then it doesn't do you any good to have a great ally. God is ready and willing to be a shield and a buckler. He's ready and willing to be your strong tower. He's ready and willing to reach out his outstretched arms, but if you go to God as a last resort, uh, then it's too late. If you go to God when everything's already fallen apart, it's, it's too late. You've already lost the battle. When we try to fix everything ourselves, that's exactly what the devil wants. He wants a Christian, and he wants to fight him in his own, in his own strength. He's going to have victory over that. He will flee a Christian that resists him in the power of his greater ally. So when it comes to uh, facing our enemy, we can do so because we have a greater ally. We submit ourselves to God and give God authority in our life. Secondly, when it comes to resisting our enemy, we can see that we have a greater arsenal. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 
We looked at this verse a few weeks ago, but 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4. There the Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So what he's saying there, even though we walk in the flesh, even though I have this flesh that I'm walking around in, that's not how I'm supposed to be living spiritually. Physically, I live in my flesh. I have to because I interact with this world and I have flesh that I walk around in. But spiritually, I don't, I don't live in the power of the flesh. I live in the power of God. My weapons of my warfare are not these puny arms. The weapons that I have are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Remember, Goliath wanted to meet a soldier on the field of battle armed with a spear and a sword. Instead, he met a slinger that had the power of God. The devil wants to meet a Christian armed in the power of the flesh what would happen if instead he met a Christian who is walking in the Spirit? We've looked at several times in the past studies on walking in the Spirit. We did one a couple of years ago with the teenagers, and I, I read a very simple and profound truth. That is that you can never defeat the flesh through the power of the flesh. You know what happens when I play myself in checkers? I lose. I lose, and you say, well, you also win. Okay, well, let's take it to the spiritual. If I, in the flesh, battle the flesh... My flesh is going to lose and my flesh is going to win. And guess what that means? Spiritually, I didn't make any progress. And if we're going in the power of the flesh to overcome ourselves, well, we're not going to see any victory. How many of you have ever given up on a New Year's resolution? All right, we have stuff we're going to do, right? I'm going to, I'm going to get this done. I, I saw a gym, uh, uh, an ad for a gym. It was a, it was a parody, but it said we're only open for the first two weeks of January and we sell one-day memberships um, as far as dealing with coming over, uh, having pr- resolutions. Maybe you decide to get up, get in shape. You decide to get up earlier. You decide to read more. And we decide this to do this by expecting that the guy who wakes up on January 1st is a different guy than the one that went to bed on December 31st. I read a meme recently that said, I never thought that I'd be the kind of guy that would eat healthy, get up early, and be in top physical condition. Turns out I was right, um, that I would never, never be that guy. When it comes to conquering our vices through sheer willpower, we usually find ourselves fairly unwilling. This happens in the spiritual realm as well. If we want to conquer a sin or, or begin to give or be more faithful or force ourselves to read our Bible daily, we make that decision and then we go into it completely in the power of the flesh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible, so I'm going I'm to make the coffee the night before. I'm going to have the Bible and the pen set out on the desk and I'm going to set the alarm early and I'm going I'm to tell myself I'm going to take a cold shower and the alarm goes off in the morning and I, and I hit snooze because it was all me. It was all me trying to make me better. And I never enlisted the Lord's help in that battle. And that alarm goes off. And I didn't say, Lord, my flesh wants to stay in bed. But I want to see spiritual victory this morning. Can you help me get up and, and get this flesh uh, moving so that I can get, you know, if you start praying like that, it's going to be really hard to hit that snooze button and go back to bed. But if it's just me trying to decide what's best for me, I'm going to decide to go back to bed. Because in the power of the flesh, I'm not going to see any victory spiritually. Our tendency is to do everything in our own power. But God says we don't have to fight with fleshly weapons. Our weapons are mighty through God. And we see in these verses they're mighty for us to be able to do four things. Look back in the verse number four. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to do what? To pull down strongholds. We looked at how a couple weeks ago Satan wants to get a stronghold in the life of a believer. 
a place that the enemy has a hold in your life. And if Satan has that in your life through the power of God, you can tear that down. If you have an area you've been living in defeat, you can have victory through the power of God. It's not something you can do on your own. Oh, I'm just going to be better. I'm just going to stop doing that. I'm just going to start doing this more. Do it on your own. You're not going to make it. But through the power of God, you can. It says in verse number five that it also is powerful for us to be able to cast down imaginations. This has to do with the idea of plans or schemes. It's amazing how much trouble we can scheme ourselves into when we're living apart from God. We can build this elaborate and secret life of fleshly fulfillment and tricking ourselves into thinking it's okay. And then we have time of spiritual clarity. We ask ourselves, how could I have done that or thought those things? God gives us victory there as well. Cast down imaginations. Verse 5 continues and says, and every high thing. What's it going to do with every high thing? Cast it down. That exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Things in our lives that we've put up in God's place. Usually that's ourself that we put up in God's place when we listen to Satan's theology and make ourselves the ones in charge. We wouldn't go like a Hindu and set up idols in our room. We wouldn't go like the Canaanites of old and build a grove or a high place. But what has been put in God's place in our life? What are you unwilling to change if God wanted you to change? What do we not want to hear preaching about? God, you can have every part of my life except for what? What high thing? God says you can cast those down. You can cast those down through the power of God. And verse 5 continues to say that we can bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If we could win the battle of the mind, we'd be a lot better off. This carries the idea of arresting our thoughts. You know the expression, letting your mind wander? Things usually go well when your mind just wanders. The Bible says bring into captivity every thought. When your mind starts to wander, you say, I'm going to arrest that and I'll put it back into obedience of Christ. When my mind starts to go wherever, wherever else, nope, that's not where God wants me to be. My mind's going to be under the obedience of Christ. And you can't do that on your own. You can only do that through the power of God. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to do these things. Pull down strongholds, cast down imaginations, cast down high things, bring into captivity every thought. When we use the weapons that God has given us, a Christian walking in the power of the Spirit, we can have victory. But when we do it on our own, in the power of the flesh, then we're going to fail. Because you know what? Our flesh doesn't want to see spiritual victory. So it's going to do everything it can to oppose us. What are our weapons of our warfare? We have the Holy Spirit. We have prayer. We have fellowship of believers. We have the Word of God walking in the Spirit. These are some of the weapons that we have as believers access to that are mighty through God. With our greater ally, our greater arsenal, we're almost ready to face the enemy to be assured of victory. But there's another advantage that we have as believers, and that's that we have a better armor. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, very familiar passage again. When it comes to seeing victory, God's not left us out there on our own. He's given us an, army, an armor that we can use to go against um, Satan and see victory in our lives as believers. Verse number 13, the Bible says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Verse 12 talks about how we can see victory over Satan's army that he has, the principalities, the powers, the, the spiritual wickedness in high places. The only way that we can stand up against the temptation of the flesh, the wiles of the devil, and the pull of this world is to stand in the power of God found in the armor that he's given us. 
Now, we've heard a lot of messages, I'm sure, on the armor of God. I want to give you a kind of a, a different perspective on the armor of God this morning, and it's going to tie into the greater ally that we have. Because every piece of the armor that God has given us is connected to Jesus Christ. And it's through the power of Jesus Christ that we can see victory, because He's the one that already won the victory for us when He rose from the dead, and He's given us that same victory. So looking at the armor, we see, first of all, we should be having our loins girt about with truth. How does the Bible describe Satan? As the father of lies. And if we're not living in truth, if you're not truthful, you're fighting the devil with his own weapons. And he's assured the victory when that, that is the case. If we hope to have victory, we must fight in the power of God. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we walk in truth, we can walk in the power of God. How do we do that? Well, it often starts with being honest about our sin. Our sin's not a bad habit. It's not a personal shortcoming. It's not a besetting failure. It's not, that's just something that I struggle with. It's, it's my thorn in the flesh. If we can't be truthful about our sin, that it's that's displeasing to God, that's an abomination in the sight of God, that it's something that I as a Christian need to overcome, well, then we're giving way to the devil. And we're going to give him victory in our life. If we can't be truthful about the battle, he's already won. So we need to be truthful about the battle that we fight. Secondly, we need to have on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, sin, what does it do? It separates us from God. What better time for the devil to attack a Christian than when he's separated from God by sin? We are already defeated when we're living in sin. Righteousness is being right with God. As Christians, we need to live in a way that we're right with God. And if we're not right with God, then we are separated from God and we're going to be an easy target for our enemy. In the book of Jeremiah, Jesus is prophesied as being the Lord, our righteousness. It's through Jesus that we can be right with God. But when we, live our li- when we live our lives right with God, we can go in the power of God to meet the enemy. The third armor described for us is the preparation of the gospel of peace. The devil is against peace. He's against the gospel. He's the author of confusion. And he is the proponent of another gospel. But the center of the gospel is who? Jesus. And he is the prince of peace. The gospel of peace is about Jesus Christ. And a Christian that carries the gospel forth in their daily lives is a Christian that's ready to meet the enemy in the power of God. Next piece of armor that we have is the shield, the shield of faith. Thinking about a shield, you want something that you can hide behind, right? How big is your faith today? How big is your faith today? Faith can be measured by obedience. How far are you willing to be obedient to the Lord? The end of your obedience is the end of your faith. And guess what? When, when, when obedience stops and faith stops and you go past that, guess what? You're unprotected. And you're in, in a position where the devil can meet you on his own terms. You need, your, you need your obedience to go as far as God takes it, and then your faith is there to protect you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2 says, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Our faith is in Christ. He's the one who started it. He's the one that finishes it. The faith starts and ends with Jesus Christ, and He's the one who can take us to victory. 1 John 5, 4 tells us this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. In the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are ready to become overcomers. Then we have the helmet of salvation. When it comes to our salvation, the devil loves to attack through doubt. He wants to cause you to doubt your salvation, but doubt is something that you can have victory over. 
You can never be strong against the enemy if your confidence in your salvation is not strong. Are you saved this morning? Do you have confidence in that? If you don't have confidence in that, you're meeting the devil on his own terms. You can't, you can't stand in confidence. Um, just stand there confidently if you're not sure about what you're, where you're standing and what you're doing. If you don't know whose side you're on, you're not going to be victorious. We know that Jesus is our salvation. So we have the helmet of salvation. We can meet our adversaries. And we see the last that we have, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The last of our greater armor is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Same was in the beginning with God. And in verse number 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the Word of God? That's Jesus Christ. Have you armed yourself with the Word of God? You know, the thing about a sword is uh, you've got to practice with it can't just pick it up and expect to be proficient. Um, and you've got to practice with your sword. And if you're going to be any good with it, you should practice on a daily basis. So have you picked up your sword this week? Or did it sit off to the side because we had other things on our mind? Because we were busy with family and with food and with activities? Or, or were you practicing? Were you practicing with your sword? Do you use it every morning? With the Word of God in hand and with the armor on, you don't have to meet the devil on his terms. Going back to the illustration of David and Goliath, Goliath says, I want one man to come and meet me with a sword. He's got to be a smaller man, and he's got to have a weaker sword, a lighter sword, a weaker spear, and we're going to fight. And guess what's going to happen? I'm going to win. Satan says, I want a Christian who's living in the power of his flesh, and I don't want him walking with God, and I want him to come and meet me in the power of his flesh to try to see victory in his life. And you know what he's going to see? He's going to see defeat. But David said, well, I'm not going to do that. I've got God on my side, and I'm going to bring a sling with me, and you're going to lose. And as Christians, we can say, you know what? I've got a greater ally. I've got a greater arsenal, and I've got greater armor. And when I see Satan in my life, I can see victory because I'm not living on my own. I'm living in the power of God. As Christians, if we want to see victory in our lives over Satan's attack, we can't do it on our own. We're coming to that time, the end of the year. We're thinking about those New Year's resolutions. And, and it's a good thing to make these goals and to have these ambitions. And there's some physical goals we need to make about, about being in better shape and having better habits. But there's some spiritual goals we need to make and some growth that needs to happen in our lives. But if we do it on our own, well, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to be better. I'm just going to be more faithful. I'm just going to do it on my own. Well, it's not going to work because you're going in the power of the flesh to see victory over your flesh. When that happens, you lose and the flesh wins. But if we enlist the help of our greater ally, our greater arsenal, our greater armor as Christians, we live in the power of God, not in the power of self. That's the devil's theology. Live in the power of self. We live in the power of God. We can see victory. So are you seeing victory this morning? Are you seeing victory this morning, or are you seeing defeat because we've been trying to do it on our own? As Christians, we don't have to. We don't have to do it on our own because we have Jesus. And the thing about having Jesus is he's already won. And when we go with Jesus, we can have victory as well. We can see the same victory that he has because he's given us his victory and said we're more than conquerors through him that loves us.